0: chapter 1 beginning at verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not sent from men or through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us out of this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, we do ask that you truly would visit us by your Holy Spirit, that we may not only look, but we may see, that we may not only listen, but we would actually hear what you would say to us, that you would speak and we would respond with faith and obedience and delight at your words. We ask that we would be, as the songwriter we just sang, that on the sacred page we would seek you, not just things to make us comfortable, not just things to have knowledge of, but truly seek you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Unbelievers see no glory in Christ. If you mention his name in polite company, sometimes you'll get a polite response. Sometimes it might be a very polite whatever. Sometimes you'll get ridicule of both you and Jesus. Well, you know, I really don't need that crutch. And others will say that nothing but a reasonable and scientific explanation is believable. But what about the believer? What do believers see in the glory of Christ? Do we meditate on the glory of Christ? This great privilege of the believer is not something that is by the way for Christians. It's something for which Christ prayed, first of all. In John 17, verse 24, he says, Father, I desire that they also may be with me where I am in order that they may behold my glory. And it's how we see the glory of God. In Second Corinthians, Paul tells us, it, was God who said, light shall shine out of darkness, and he's the same one who has shown in our hearts for the purpose of giving light by means of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And we know also from Paul that it has present and future blessings, this contemplation and faith in the glory of Christ. He says we all being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. Seeing his glory, it transforms us into his glory. And John says it brings us joy and delight, and he says it, it purifies us. In 1 John he says when he appears, that is Christ's, We shall see him just as he is. And he goes on to say, anyone who has this hope in them purifies himself as he is pure. When John writes in his gospel that he and the other apostles beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth, it was not Jesus' outward appearance that he was looking at. Isaiah tells us that he... Jesus had no form or comeliness that we would even be attracted to him. And we know it wasn't because he had an entourage or a court as he came and approached them. Again, Isaiah says Jesus was despised and forsaken by men. And certainly he had no palace, as some thought he would come as king. What does Jesus say about himself? The Son of Man had nowhere to lay his head. It was not the appearance and not the entourage and not the accoutrements that they beheld, but it was the glory of Christ's person and the office in which he administered grace and truth. And it's just here, it's just here that I think that we see Paul beginning his letter to the Galatians, concerning the person and work and the wonder of Christ. Now, some of you may be frustrated because we're beginning a study in the book of Galatians. And yes, at some point I've got to mention what I think the date of writing is and who he's really writing to and get into you know, the, the Northern and Southern Galatian and what does that mean? I understand that we we need to look at the background of these believers and see what the situation was and what the real issue is in terms of the way Paul spells it out later and why does he lack a Thanksgiving as he does in other letters he has none here and what is this whole issue of works of the law what does it mean I understand that at some point I need to face that but it's, it's my sense that, that Paul in his introduction here in these five verses, he has hit the two themes of the entire letter. He's introducing them here because he's already in his mind, he's moving in that direction. And we spoke of this two weeks ago. His gospel is not according to man. Now I understand that there are some, and good and godly men that I enjoy reading, say that one of the themes of Galatians is Paul's um, apostleship, the defense of his apostleship. I do not, as I understand what theme means, don't think that's the theme of Galatians. The theme of Galatians is two not according to man is the gospel and what we see here in his praising and lifting up the Lord Jesus Christ before us this whole issue of the significance of Christ because I believe that in the church When there is error or there are things of disagreement in in faith and in practice, and here what we see in the fundamentals of the gospel, the issue seems to be at its bedrock, at its first place is who is Christ? The significance of the Lord Jesus Christ. What he has done and who he is, teaches us, yes, things about him but they're meant to bring us to behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The issue that Paul had with the Galatians and those that we'll come to know as the Judaizers is just this, the significance of Christ. He is the perfect revelation of the Father. He is the only representation, the only true representative of the glory of God. In Christ alone do we have a clear and unobstructed vision of the glory of God. And so when Paul says to them in his... Greeting, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying they they come to you as a joint source of these things, of grace and peace. They they come to you as God's favor toward his people in Christ, resting on the forgiveness that he paid for, the, the reconciliation that he bought. And grace always comes first. And peace then is what follows. Peace is when we come to that condition of well-being. Well-being that is established by God in Christ. And it's based on in Christ, in Him, in His work. Without that, there can be no peace, no rest, no satisfaction that man can have. And so he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father. And I don't think he's looking at at the good old by and by or or the great getting up morning. I think he's saying now, grace to you and peace now. Why? Because he knows they need that grace, but they also need that peace, that well-being that knows that their faith is well-grounded on the true gospel on the Lord Jesus Christ and so I endeavor this morning to show you to try to picture help you picture what the glory of Christ is the significance of Christ that he brings out particularly in verse four of this passage the things that and I get three things that he has done three things that he wants us to see In verse 4, he says, first of all, who gave himself for our sins. And immediately we see something of self-sacrifice. And it was a voluntary sacrifice. The, the idea is that he gave himself, that he freely gave. We hear that language, you will hear it this morning as we go to the Lord's Supper. This is my body given for you. He gave it. It, it. It's not just he gave part of himself. He gave himself. And, and even in English, it comes across that reflexive um, pronoun as you learn it in English, right? He gave himself. He gave to us of himself his person and the totality of his humility and his being in short he gave his life all of it and the emphasis is of course on death giving himself obedient as paul says even to death on a cross why he gave himself for our sins it was because of our sins for our sins he had to give himself but what is the significance how does christ show us the father see that's the question we, we, it's not our view of God, but it is our vision of the glory of God that counts. We can know a lot of things about God, but do we see God and the glory of God in Christ? Do we truly, as Paul saying to us, that we can see the glory of God in the face of Christ? Well, what do we see? Well, we see the willingness of God the Father to. Even countenance to notice and have pity on lowly beings. In Psalm 13, the psalmist asks, Who is like the Lord our God enthroned on high? Who who humbles himself to behold the poor, to behold the needy, to behold, behold the barren woman who has no child? Who is like him? He says, this is what he is showing us. He gave himself to lowly creatures such as us. And we see that God is voluntary. God did not have to save us. God did not have to give us his only begotten son, but he did. And Jesus is that mediator and servant who gave himself he did not come to be served but to serve he did not come to save himself he came to save others he chose to do it in john 10 he says i lay down my life on my own initiative no one made him he did it freely so we see the glory of god that (laughs) To us as as lowly beings, this is what our God is like. This is what he thinks of us. And, And what's the implication? That Christ's sacrifice was perfect. That Christ's death satisfied a holy God. And any attempt on our part and obedience by the law or through the law as a means of our own salvation is totally incompatible with this one who gave himself for our sins. And so we see in Christ the highest evidence of God's caring love towards sinners. We were the objects of pity and compassion. We who were dead, as the scriptures say, in our trespasses and sins. He took on flesh and blood as the writer to the Hebrews says that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death. That's how we see God. We see it through the sufferings of Christ. Now I don't know about you but I, I do agree when Peter says that there are some of the things in Paul that are difficult to understand. Sometimes Peter's writing is difficult to understand. I admit that too. But sometimes you read Peter and it's like, okay, there it is. He gives it in language in ways that I can understand. And when Peter explains in the first chapter of his first letter that, that the prophets themselves were wondering, what is the Spirit of Christ saying when through our writings, through the prophecies, he is predicting... You know who is this man and when will he come and he's saying when the Spirit of Christ did what when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to be revealed and what it says to me is that if you want to boil it down what is the prophecy what does it entail just two headings yes there's a lot of things to weed through but there are two headings the suffering of Christ and the glories to be revealed. And here we have it. Why did Christ suffer and die? For the glories to be revealed. Without the suffering and death, there would be no glory revealed. And again, that is why, well, we see in this letter that Paul writes to the Galatians, anything that we would add to the glory of Christ, anything that we would say that Christ did not take care of, that Christ did not pay for, that Christ was not perfect in, is totally incompatible with who Christ was and the glory of God that he wants to reveal. (laughs) And how do we respond to that? If Jesus humbled himself and and, and went obediently to the cross for our sake, even to death for his people, what will he not do for us? And that also is the glory of God. I will be their God and they shall be my people. There is a whole boatload of things that come with that to his glory and, and to our enjoyment. And one of those is that we know that he will do those things for us that are for our good and for our sake. Now the second phrase in here is that he might deliver us out of this present evil age. I know that it is a purpose clause. The purpose for him giving himself for our sins is that he might deliver us out of this present evil age. But I think again, we we miss it if we stop with just the what and we don't look at the who and the glory of god in it he says he might deliver us he delivers us there's no thing in here that says we had any part he god had all the interests To see that Christ and his work accomplished that for which he sent him. That the result of giving Christ himself is that we would become his people. That we would become his own. Paul reminds us in Ephesians 1, he chose us in him. God chose us to be in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. We had no part in that he delivers us. And we just sang it that I might be his own. He did it for ownership, delivering us that we could be his own. Why? Because we were under the power of the power, the prince of the power of this world. That we were enslaved, we were in bondage to sin and to following this present evil age. And this deliverance is rescuing us from a peril by an act of power. And this deliverance, yet yeah, there are some who believe we're looking at the future. But Paul, I don't, again, I don't think he's speaking of then, I think he's speaking of now. Yes, there's always an element of the then, but it, I think, again, the purpose of his letter is to point us, as the, he did to the Galatians, that in this life, there will be deliverance. And it, and it doesn't mean the taking out, as we see, but it, it means a change of state or a change of relation. Our relation was under the curse our relation was, we lived in the corruption of the world. We, we lived in this evil world. But we have been delivered by regeneration to a state of acceptance, a state of adoption, a state of blessing. And it shows us the glory of God in reminding of us of those great passages Perhaps the one in Isaiah 10, uh, 41, 10, which was one of the first verses as a new believer that I meditated on. Do not fear, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will hold you with my righteous right hand. See, there's a deliverance in God. He makes us his own, and will he let us flounder? Once he calls of his his own, do we wander on our own? No. Surely I will help you. Surely I will deliver you. Surely I will uphold you. And so by fixing my desires and hopes and thoughts on the glory of Christ, the things of this world, the things that used to be a part of my being, the temporal things of this world began to fade. They began to grow dull and dim in my eyes as I see the glory of God in the face of Christ. And then I become fit. Then I become outfitted for life with Christ in eternity as I begin to meditate and live in the reality and the faith of the glory of God now. And then I become even more unwilling to submit again the slavery of sin. When Christ says that he might deliver, it's not a, well, we hope he does. (laughs) That is a done deal. He will deliver his people. And he did it according to the will of our God and Father, Paul says. According to the will of God, he died. According to the will of God, he gave himself. According to the will of God, he delivered his people from this present evil age. That's God's purpose, to save his people. And because Jesus laid down his life for us, because he loved us and freely chose to give himself for us, because he took our nature, our flesh and blood upon himself, he became fit for the work that God wanted him to do. And he became able to perform it. And so Christ did what God wanted. According to the will of God, he did it. He did it in giving himself. He did it in delivering us. He did it according to the will of God. And so we understand more of what the will of God is and his purpose by just watching what Jesus did and the way that he went about doing it because he did it according to God's will. And because God himself is God and because he is our father, any notion that we might have, any inkling, any tendency that we have to want to supplement, to add to the work that Christ did, get it out of your mind, get it out of your head. It's foolishness. Christ did what God wanted according to his will. We can't, even if we wanted to and tried to. Romans 7 tells us that the law, the law is holy. Paul says, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good, but it was only by the perfect obedience of Christ that we are able to see that the law is holy and righteous and good. Without him, we could not detect it. Without him, it is just a slave master. Again, Paul said later, it was meant to bring us to Christ. We can't use it as getting to Christ or getting to God because we can't see the way unless we look at God in the face of Christ. And now the beauty of it is that the commands of the law of God are written not on tablets of stone but on the tablets of the human heart And that brings glory to God through Christ. And so again, as a response, I I kept thinking of of what the writer to the Hebrews picks up from Psalm 8. What is man that thou dost take thought of him, and the son of man that you would care for him? Through the sufferings, through the temptations, through the ridicule, through the reproaches, through the mockings, Jesus endured all of that, that as the writer to the Hebrews says, he might become a merciful and faithful high priest for us. And so Paul says to the Corinthians, so we preach Christ and him crucified. Without, again, without those sufferings, without those things that he endured, we couldn't know the glory of God. It was, that was how it was opened up. He says, we preach Christ. To, to those who are called, we preach Christ. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And this is revealed to us only by the suffering of Christ. And so I think we see this is the significance of Christ. This is where it is at. This is the great second theme. In him and by him alone, the wisdom of God is revealed to us. Again, Paul to the Corinthians says, he became to us wisdom from God. Again, without Christ, we couldn't see God. We couldn't see him in all of his glory. He became wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And in Christ and by Christ alone, we know the love of God. It's revealed to us through him. We could not know the love of God without Christ. John tells us that in his epistle. By this, he says, the love of God manifested in us that God sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. Again, we would not see the glory of God except for Christ. Is Christ glorious in your eyes? Do you see the Father when you look at Christ? And to seeing him increase your desire to see more of him and to long for that great getting up morning when we shall see him as he is because we shall be like him and we shall be with him. I just, I couldn't help but think, there was one of the commentaries, he said we ought to have admiration And and we ought to have adoration for Christ. And I think that's true, but I think in the context of Galatians, we ought to also have, besides adoration and besides, um, yeah, whatever I just said, we ought to have admonition to our own souls for any wrong thoughts or human ideas or any thinking that we could add anything to the glory of Christ or that the glory of Christ is somehow not enough. And I think that's why Paul adds in verse five of your text, to whom be the glory forevermore, amen. And I don't think again that he is looking at the future and that he is looking at us and saying that God, even that God is to be glorified, certainly he is. But the context and the way it's written says to me that this is not a, let me do it positively, that this is a summons to the readers of this letter. It is a summons that says, let us praise God for his eternal glory and for his infinite attributes as they shine forth in the face of Christ. And then let the glory of God be forevermore. Amen. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father. These are great and and glorious things. They They are almost to us too high and too hot to handle. And yet, Father, we ought to be as Moses did. Show us thy glory. Show us thy glory that we may behold it. Teach us how to behold the glory of Christ. That we may see you, that we may worship you, that we may give you all honor and praise due to your name. And that by it we would be able, willing, desiring to glorify you in our lives day by day until that great day. We ask that you would do this. We ask that you would build up your church for the glory of Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.